Hey everyone, this is Mike Whitfield with TurbulenceTraining.com and WorkoutFinishers.com and this is a really cool call. We're going to be talking about going gluten-free over the holidays and of course we'll give you some strategies and tips that you can use uh, with cooking and that kind of thing. And of course I have the gluten guru himself, Dr. Peter Osborne. He's a fantastic guy. He knows the stuff. And let me tell you just a quick thing. I had such an intense conversation with him uh, one night in Vegas that it actually convinced me to uh, to explore the po- possibility of going gluten-free. And I'll be straight up, I'm not even 100% gluten-free yet, but my energy has gone through the roof. So I'm really excited about getting some strategies and tips from, uh, from Dr. Peter Osborne. Peter, first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us, man. Hey, you're welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You bet. Really excited about this. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into the. Uh, obviously, we've got the holidays coming up, and so my first question is: Well, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then how we can find you. Let's jump. Let's do that first. Well, I um I run a private clinical practice treating autoimmune disease uh, and food allergies in uh, just outside of Houston, Texas, and uh, my office website is TownCenterWellness.com. And um, I also run and uh, founded a Gluten-Free Society, which is an online doctor and patient education resource for people who are trying to go gluten-free, learn more about being gluten-free. And then we also have something that we've created called Gluten-Free Health Solution, which is just kind of an all-in-one solution for those who just need a lot of guidance uh, but don't want to go and uh, spend a bunch of time with doctors where they can just kind of do it on their own. So we've created that just for the average person, and that's called the Gluten-Free Health Solution. That's fantastic. And, of course, there's, there's a lot of great information in there. I've, I've seen that. I've gotten it myself. So very cool. Well, uh, obviously, you're, you're a big fan of gluten-free, and there are people I know that are going to be listening to this uh, maybe want to explore the opportunity of going gluten-free and they don't want to wait until the new year. So what are a couple of tips and ways that people can go gluten-free over the holidays, especially on uh, you know Thanksgiving and things like that? Well, I think if you've got an individual who's looking really to try to, to go gluten-free over the holidays, they've just got to be willing to, to expand their mind and expand their ideas in the kitchen. A lot of what we think about as traditional foods are going to contain a lot of the grains, you know, the wheat-based flours, the pie crust, the coatings, the thickeners that we add to gravies. A lot of that stuff contains gluten. So you just have to expand on how to prepare those things. One of the things we do in our house is we make the pumpkin pie without the crust. It tastes just as good, um, but then you don't have to worry about the gluten that's in a traditional crust. You can take and you can thicken gravies with potato starch or tapioca starch or almond flour, and that uh, still allows you to thicken your, you know, your Thanksgiving gravy, but without the, you know, without the wheat, without the flour. So those are some easy things that you can do. Beyond that, with the holidays, a lot of the recipes and a lot of the meals are going to be meat and vegetable driven. And so what you have to do is you have to look at what your traditional recipes are. If you're you know, if you're using grandma's recipe for green bean casserole, you've got to look at what those ingredients are, read the food labels, and try to find a substitute. If, if you've got gluten in that package or gluten in the item that, that the recipe calls for, you've got to try to find that substitute that's going to work that's gluten-free. And there are a number of options available today. The market 
for gluten-free food products is the $10 billion market, and it's just exploded over the last few years for people who are looking for gluten-free options. Very cool, and that's that's one thing I've certainly seen. Uh, my wife and I are, are, of course, like I said, we're exploring the idea of, of going 100% gluten-free, and it's a lot easier than, than what people think. I know a lot of people used to think, well, that's really, that's really hard to go gluten-free, and I'll be honest, I, I thought that myself, but Recently, I've really noticed that there's a there's a big opportunity to go gluten free. It's it's a lot easier than uh, than what people uh, think it might be. So that's a very good point. Uh, my next question is, when we're shopping in the grocery store or even at a Whole Foods um, kind of uh, grocery store, things that are labeled gluten free, is there a chance that even those could contain gluten? Yeah, it happens a lot actually. There are two terminologies that, that you know that your listeners want to be aware of. One is what we would call traditional gluten-free, which is what the food labeling laws go by. They go by this traditional definition of gluten, and, and gluten, in a nutshell, it's wheat, barley, rye, um, and sometimes oats, depending on who you talk to. That's the traditional definition, which just actually lists gluten as only being in those three or four grains. But the actual definition, or what we would call the true gluten-free definition, is that gluten is actually found in all grains, including corn, including rice, including sorghum, which those are probably the three most commonly used um, gluten-free substitutes, even though they're technically not gluten-free. So it can kind of get confusing if you don't know your way around the terminology, but if you just are aware that if it's a grain that it contains gluten, then you know to avoid it. We've actually got, and uh, we can put a link or we can put something up for your listeners where I have a master list of all those terms so that if they're wanting to read those food labels and, and make sure that something is actually truly gluten-free, they can use this list. They can use this uh, to make sure that they're avoiding gluten safely. Oh, fantastic. That would be great. Where, where can we get that list? I'll just I'll send you a link, and if you want to put that up uh, below this audio, we can, we can do that. It, but gluten-free, I have it on Gluten-Free Society. It's a master list there that I update periodically. That'd be fantastic, awesome stuff. Well, uh, that's that's really surprising. And one of the things that you said that surprised me was the uh, was oats. I know you said it depends on who you talk to. So there's a chance that there's actually gluten in oats. No, not a chance. All all oats have gluten. And that's, wow. that's kind of the misconception is is that when we call something gluten free, we're referring back to a 1952 research study. Um, unfortunately, we've got 60 years of research and, and medical study that has happened since 1952. It's just that the food labeling laws don't address that. And a lot of the companies that that are, you know, claiming to be gluten-free product makers, a lot of these companies, even though the research is out there, they just ignore it. And I, I don't know. I, I, I think I don't think the companies are out to get people and keep them sick. But, you know, as a doctor treating chronically ill patients all the time in my office, you know, kind of what we see is we see a lot of people that come into my office that are actually on a traditional gluten-free diet, and they're just not better. And one of the biggest reasons why is because they continue to eat the other glutens found in the other grains because the other grains are called gluten-free when you look at food labels. And that's wow. why we have those definition differences and those terminology differences that we try to educate doctors and patients about because a lot of times the biggest holdup is the market itself. And the biggest holdup for a person to be healthy is the market promoting gluten-free foods that aren't really gluten-free. 
Right. Wow. That's uh, very eye-opening, and I'm glad you brought that up. Now, speaking of gluten-free, you know, obviously from a from a fat loss standpoint, it could do wonders, and we all know that. But from what I understand, just based on how I have felt, I see that, that the vitality of life is obviously more of a plus than, than the fat loss or the, you know, the, the weight that's coming off. What would you say are, are probably the, I would say, the top three advantages of starting a gluten-free diet and, and sticking to a gluten-free diet? Well, the three advantages come to those who are actually gluten-sensitive. So I would say if you're gluten-sensitive and the gluten-free diet is what you need to be following, probably what the biggest clinical changes that I see, uh, number one is improved energy. Um, think about it like this. If, if you spend 20 or 30 years of eating regular food and you're gluten-sensitive, you're basically slowly poisoning your body over a number of years. And so as you as you poison yourself and you create this internal damage, it damages the, the little mechanisms inside your cells that help your body to produce energy. And so what happens over time is you become more and more lethargic. Uh, you don't make as much energy. And, and, and you become accustomed to that or you, you get adapted to that and you think, oh, I'm just getting older. This is all part of the normal process of getting older is decline in energy. And as you've just stated that you you figured out that it's not age at all, it's just it's just that damage over time that's created. So energy being enhanced is probably one of the top symptoms that we're gonna see improve. But the other there are a couple of other things that we see very commonly with gluten sensitivity that improve in a lot of people. And one is just generalized muscle and joint pain. And this applies directly to the folks that that, that follow you guys because you know, when you're trying to work out and you're trying to lose weight, if your muscles hurt and your joints hurt and it's hard to recover and it's hard to stay in the gym and it's hard to stay uh, after that workout routine because of the pain, then you're not going to be very successful. And that's one of the most common symptoms we see clear up is this, just this chronic muscle spasm, chronic muscle pain and joint pain issue. And then I would say probably the third most common symptom that we see uh, with patients improving has to do with the resolution of autoimmune conditions. And so there are about 190 different autoimmune diseases. And a lot of people don't know what these are, but I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, migraine headache is an autoimmune disease. And we see a lot of times patients who have suffered with 20, 30, 40 years of chronic migraines go gluten-free and the headaches just stop coming. They just they resolve because of the diet change. We see some patients that have rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and hypothyroidism, which is a lowering of the thyroid hormone in the body, uh, it's also an autoimmune condition. We see these patients start to make thyroid hormone again. We see these patients' joint pain start to go away as a result of their immune system. It's no longer attacking food, and it can now protect them. And that's what happens with autoimmune disease with those that are gluten sensitive is you have an immune system that's so busy trying to attack food that's not really food, but it's poison. And so what ends up happening to these people is they wear and tear their immune system to death, and then eventually their immune system starts to attack their own bodies because it gets confused. And so those types of conditions we'll see resolved very, very frequently with a gluten-free diet. So kind of to sum it up, we got improved energy, um, and then we've also got reduction of muscle joint pain and muscle spasm, and then as well we've got the diminution or the resolution of autoimmune disease. Okay, fantastic. That's um, that's some great points, and 
I could definitely, like I said, the, the big difference for me was the energy. And, and just to kind of give you a, a background story, uh, my wife and I went on vacation um, a few weeks ago, and uh, we we decided, you know what, we're going to, you know, obviously we're going to reduce the gluten, but we're going to, you know, we're going to have some fun and, and eat some foods that we thoroughly enjoy. And something that really struck with me uh, from uh, from my wife was that she she basically said, yeah, I could I could see why we went gluten free because she said she noticed such a difference, um, you know, going from gluten-free to all of a sudden we're eating tons of gluten. And she just, I could tell she was just kind of feeling lethargic. She was tired. Now, granted, she's pregnant, but still, you know, just seeing that difference. And the difference that I, I certainly felt was I'm already kind of geeked up on energy all the time anyway, but I just, I found myself more focused by and, and like I said, I hadn't even uh, completely removed gluten yet, but I have drastically taken it down. And I have, like I said, I, I'm, I'm I got more energy, I've got more focus, and uh, obviously, I think that would, I'm sure you'll agree, this will turn into more productivity. Whether you know you're you're a trainer or uh, work at a day job or or whatever. Yeah, no doubt. I've, I actually, I recently on that same topic of kind of mental focus, I recently had a patient who came in to see me, and the reason he came in was because he was giving these very big presentations for a multi-billion-dollar company, and so here he was up there with a PowerPoint, expected to give this presentation, and uh, and he couldn't focus. He actually shut down in the middle of the presentation, and it almost cost him his job. And uh, it didn't take but a couple of months of changing his diet before his concentration and his focus and his improved mental clarity came back to him. So that's you know, that's just another side effect. Again, when you're eating food, it doesn't act like food in your body. It slows down your machinery, then it can affect your brain as well. Wow, very eye-opening stuff. Fantastic. All right, let's uh, let's talk about you know when somebody is starting a gluten-free diet. Do you can you give us maybe two to three mistakes that you see people make when either they just first start off or maybe you know two or three months down the road some mistakes they might make when they're attempting to go gluten free? Sure. So the number one mistake that we see is they fail to read the food label, uh, or they make an assumption about a food product because they don't even think that it could contain a form of gluten. Let me give you an example. The number one ingredient in soy sauce is wheat, which is very, very high in gluten content. Well, I mean, if you're eating Chinese food or you're and you're not eating, let's just say you're not eating blatantly any type of grain, but all the meat is doused in soy sauce and all the vegetables are cooked in soy sauce, you're getting a heavy dose of gluten. And so that would probably be the biggest mistake we see is that a person will make the assumption that it doesn't have gluten because it's not bread, pasta, or cereal. So sauces and dip, um, mayonnaise and ketchup, not all brands do, but many brands can contain gluten as a filler or as a thickener. And so the rookie mistake number one is failure to acknowledge that something could contain gluten even though it's not bread, rice, or I'm sorry, bread, pasta, or cereal. Uh, one of wow. the other mistakes that we see happen is the non-edible gluten. I, I um, One time I had a patient uh was very, very sick and we couldn't we couldn't figure out why they weren't getting better and we come to find out that they lit that well they shared 
an office space, and next door to them was a bakery. And so the air ducts were the same. They were actually getting gluten exposure from the flour in the bakery that was going into the air ducts, and they were breathing in gluten flour all day long. And when we figured that out, they actually were able to transfer to a different location, and their problems resolved. So it's that it's that kind of exposure that you don't even think about that, that could be potentially keeping you down or potentially damaging you. Another example would be the potential to have gluten um, in lipstick. So a lot of females, the lipstick that they use might contain a wheat starch or some type of corn starch, and uh, and that's another source of exposure. Even from a guy, I had a patient one time, she was getting gluten exposure. We couldn't figure out where, and then we found out it was from her boyfriend who ate Subway sandwich every day at lunch. And so when they would kiss, they would exchange gluten. Oh, wow. So um, other, 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 what's that? I was just going to say that that little bit can make a difference. It can, and 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 it's not that it always that I always see it that it makes the make or break. But there are some people, and this is why in my office, Mike, we do genetic testing because I really want to know, you know, if a person is truly gluten sensitive, they need to have a no tolerance policy to gluten, um, because even a small amount is is enough to create inflammatory damage and to cause them a lot of health issues. Uh, that might get diagnosed as something else. Like I've had patients uh, with very rare diseases. I've had patients with very common diseases. And uh, in many of these cases, gluten was at the core of the issue. And until they had a zero-tolerance policy to gluten, they weren't actually able to recover or get better. And so, yeah, it can affect a person that much. I mean, there can be gluten in shampoo. There can be gluten in uh, toothpaste. And so again, it boils back down to reading your labels and knowing what you're what you're putting on your body and what you're putting in your body, so that you can protect yourself to the best of your capabilities. Wow, great info! I did not know that, especially about the uh, you know those little things like lipstick and and stuff like that. Now, is that something? Will that show on the the label of the lipstick? Will that show it on the label? It should. So kind of makeup labels and shampoo labels are a little bit different than food labels. Food labels, by law, they're required to list everything in the ingredients. As you get into cosmetics, and generally what happens is a woman will buy cosmetics, and then she'll end up throwing away the box that they came in. And it was the box that contained all the ingredients. Uh, but the actual makeup liner or the lipstick casing itself doesn't have a list of the ingredients. So you kind of can get online and you can type in the name of the product that you're using. And you can, from a lot of these companies, you can you can get the ingredients that they're using. It's a pretty easy process. And once you find a brand that you know is gluten-free, it's pretty easy to stick to that brand. Uh, so it's not, a, you know, initially the biggest challenge that patients have and that people have with going gluten-free initially, it's just the learning curve. You know, just like with anything else. I mean, you think about it like in in, in what you do. I mean, you teach people how to top off their workouts, you know, by implementing different forms of exercise, different intensities of these different forms of exercise. It's secondhand knowledge to you because you've been doing it and you've been training people to do it for a long time. To those new people who are just learning it, it can be kind of a learning curve, kind of a challenge. But once they kind of start to get it down, it becomes easier and easier and easier. Well, it's the same thing with going gluten-free. That initial curve can take six to 12 weeks to really get through. But once you're kind of through that, then it becomes pretty much like autopilot. It's a pretty easy diet to follow. I've actually been following it for close to 10 years now uh, without any issues or without any regression or problems. So it's not a, it's not a challenge 
it's just a challenge at first. I see. Very cool. Great. Well, let's talk a little bit then. Let's say somebody does go gluten-free and, and they're getting great results and they're getting, uh, they're feeling much better. Let's say three to four months down the road, do you do you see people maybe hopping off the wagon and and kind of eating more and more gluten? The next thing you know, they're they're nowhere near a gluten-free diet. I do, um, and that's another reason why I test because you can have somebody go on a gluten-free diet and they can feel remarkably better, and then you know they kind of go back to their old ways, and then they start feeling bad again, but they don't really pin it to gluten. They just pin it to whatever other excuse about life. I'm getting older. Uh, work is more stressful. I'm arguing with my spouse. I'm not exercising enough. And although those things all do have a factor in the way a person feels, if a person is really gluten sensitive, they really want to have, again, that zero tolerance policy toward gluten. But, but yeah, they'll, they'll hop off the wagon and people will challenge it and they'll test it. And I encourage people to not necessarily to eat gluten on purpose, but I encourage them that if they are that doubtful about whether it's the right thing for them to do, to challenge it. Because many of my patients uh, didn't want to go gluten-free. It was something that was forced upon them because of a health issue. And then when they started feeling better, they want to challenge it, right? It's just human nature to challenge things. And sure. so they go out maybe, and then they hog out on, you know, a Subway sandwich or they hog out on a pizza, and they find themselves in bed for a day and in some cases in bed for a few weeks, I actually had a patient one time who decided she was going to challenge the theory on vacation. So she was on a cruise ship, and I get a phone call in my office, and she's calling me from the infirmary of the cruise ship saying, I ate gluten, lots of it, and I can't function. I'm, I'm just incapacitated. Help me. What can I do? And I'm like, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do. Once you've got it all in your system, it's a matter of waiting and letting your body try to recover from that poison. So yeah, people will fall off the wagon, but it's just important that if you're gonna if you're gonna go gluten free and you feel better and you want to challenge it and see kind of bring it back in to see if you don't if you feel worse, um, it's important to pay attention, right? Don't just blame this, that, or the other. Pay attention to whether or not it was actually gluten versus versus all those other excuses people tend to make. Absolutely, that's a that's a great point too, and. Uh, like I said, I, I can certainly tell a difference when when I'm not eating gluten and, and when I am. So that's a, that's a great point. Now let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, obviously everybody is different, but when do you typically see somebody notice a difference when they do start going gluten free, especially if they had a lot of gluten in their diet prior to starting? If 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 they're going gluten free, we're going to usually see a response within the first two months. Sometimes we'll see a response within a matter of a few days. Uh, it depends on, on the nature of what the person's problems are. So, like, as an example, I've had cases of migraine headache where a person went gluten-free and they never had a migraine again. It just ended the day they went gluten-free. And if they got exposure, then they got a migraine headache. Um, I've had patients that um, it was a slower process. You know, they got a little bit better. They felt a little bit better with each passing week. Um, so I've seen it take as, as, as little as a day, and I've seen it take as long as six months to really start to, to notice a response. But as it relates to the as it relates to the exercise and fitness world, I would say with weight loss, we see men drop the weight really fast. So like the gluten intolerant men, they're gonna they drop weight a lot quicker than the women do, almost always. Um, 
20, 25 pounds the first month for most if they need to lose 20, 25 pounds. So, I mean, obviously, if they're only 10 pounds overweight, we're not going to see 25 pounds of weight loss. But with the women, right. the weight loss, it, generally it comes, there's 5 to 10 pounds that we see fly off within the first month or so. But then it's a little slower to come for most women. And that's because that first 5 to 10 pounds, sometimes even 15, is a uh, water retention. It's an inflammation. So the body's holding on to more water weight, and it's not really fat loss. And this would be kind of that, that, that woman who complains of being swollen or bloated or having the feeling of, of bloatedness. That's that water retention that we see that gluten can also induce. But then the weight loss itself will start to come off as they're consistent with their exercise and consistent with their gluten-free diet. Very cool. And, and the point that I'm, as you were talking, I, I kept thinking, well, what if, uh, you know, what if we started, or what if somebody who's listening started to go gluten-free starting right now at the, you know, before the holidays, they would and imagine dropping those 5 to 10, 15, even 20 pounds Imagine that they'll be that much more ahead by you know of the what I call the New Year's crowd, and uh, they'll get the, they'll be that much more far ahead before they, everybody else starts in January. So and and obviously, like you said, it's it's much easier than what people you know think it is because it's it's just a matter of of making substitutions. And speaking of substitutions, hopefully I don't throw you a curveball here, but one of my favorite things at Thanksgiving obviously is stuffing. I absolutely love stuffing. So what would you substitute with as far as making that stuffing? Is it, you know, is there a certain flour that you prefer over another or what do you suggest? I would say probably the three best, maybe even the four best flours that can be used um, for a stuffing would be tapioca, almond, uh, almond flour, potato flour, or potato starch. And uh, and coconut coconut flour. It's the thing about about we want to remember when we're talking about substitution recipes at Thanksgiving. One of the big the big things that you, that people want to understand is you're not when you when you make a, a stuffing from tapioca, it's not going to be the same stuffing as you're going to make from wheat, right? It's just not right. going to have the same texture consistency. One of the things that one of the reasons gluten is such a popular food is because it's chewy and it has a consistency and a texture that people have been accustomed to. So they grew up with it and so they have a fondness for it and they really like it. I would say the closest flour to the consistency of wheat would probably be tapioca. Gotcha. Okay. Tapioca. Very cool. Well, awesome stuff, Peter. You definitely shared some, some great insight and some great knowledge on uh, going gluten-free, and, and obviously people listening to this audio can uh, take these strategies and start uh, gluten-free literally right now. So uh, obviously you gave us some great info, and I certainly want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today, man. Hey, you're very welcome. I'm always excited to talk about gluten, so anytime you, you want to bring it up again, you just let me know, and I, I'll give you as much information as I can. Awesome. I'm sure we'll be talking again in the future. This this stuff is really uh especially recently, it's been really fascinating to me, especially just based on the way I feel. So it was really, really cool talking to you. And, and thank you again for, for taking the time to uh, to talk to us and, and shed your knowledge on us. And, of course, everybody listening on the call, obviously you have the tips now in place to, you know, at least get started with your gluten-free diet and, uh, you know, go ahead and, and get started. So 
Peter, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to us, and uh, we'll talk to you again, I'm sure, in the near future. All right, Mike, appreciate it. Have a great afternoon. Cool, very cool. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the call, and we will talk to you next time. Again, this is Mike Whitfield with TurbulenceTraining.com. Bye-bye, everyone.